right, all right, find yourself a seat. Last few weeks of holiness and humanity, only three more to go, tonight being one of three, and I can just feel summer approaching. It's so close. It's like, today was great, but you never know, there could still be another, you know, foot of snow that shows up, so we just got to emotionally prepare for whatever comes, but uh, for me, it's already summer. I'm, I've stopped wearing a coat. Even on the days it's cold, I just tough through it. It's like my way of protesting the cold. Um, And I'm just like ready for summer. Now with summer, um, and here at NOA, our summer starts in June because we'll finish here through May. That's like kind of the end of this series, this chapter. And then we'll start again in June for our summer series. And I wanted to let you guys know that we are going to be bringing back this summer. Instead of doing crew during the summer, we're going to do summer hangs, which, yeah, if you were around here a couple years ago, summer hangs is basically just a list of, of events where we're going to spend time together, and you can kind of pick and choose which ones you want to be a part of. And uh, so hopefully in, in two weeks, uh, we'll be able to throw that up on screen, kind of give you a heads up on what's coming. You can jot a couple dates down of the events we're going to do. Um, it could be as simple as having a meal together at some restaurant, or it could be an activity where we go on a hike together, things like that. So We'll, um, we're, we're working on that right now. I'm hopefully going to be able to announce that in a couple weeks. And then in the summer, you just sign up for whichever one you want to do. You could do all of them. You could, now, there's no prize involved if you do all of them. But if you want to do all of them, you are welcome to do all of them. Um, and all you have to do is just pick the ones you want to do and then register online. And that's it. So that's coming back this summer. But, um, okay, so here we are at the, at the last three weeks of holiness and humanity. Super excited about the passage we're going to be jumping into tonight. But I want to start by talking about how I've always been a student of culture. Um, growing up in a foreign country, in a you know multicultural family myself, I've always just been fascinated by how people act different in different cultures. Meaning as small as like a family culture, the way your family is different than my family. And there are things that you don't even get taught necessarily. You just know like this is how we do this. Um, And that's in families, that's in cities, that's in regions, right? Like Southerners versus people from the Northeast, like there's cultural things there. And I've always just been fascinated by that stuff. Um, It it, it just blows me away that that no one's teaching it specifically, but it just catches on. It's like it's in the water. It's like somehow everyone just learns these set of rules. And with each culture comes um, folklore. It's, It's the stories that the culture passes on. Um, through tradition and just kind of like telling stories. And, and uh, we can track a lot of this through human history, but a lot of it's just like we don't know, but we know that the story showed up at some point. And I've, I've always been fascinated by this idea. And again, I'm not presenting to you this as fact tonight. I'm just, I'm in, intrigued by this hypothesis of folklore and the topics like, um, you know, ghosts and ghost stories and, you know, people who died and then reappearing and then concept like, you know, the zombie thing where it's like it's a dead person, but they're alive, sort of half dead, half alive. Um, I've been I've been fascinated with it. And I did a little bit of studying on that because I'm like, man, now zombies like, you know, The Walking Dead was huge. All these shows that are coming out, movies that have come out about this. And it's like, where did that idea come from? And there's some history on it. And I wasn't really able to find like a definitive answer of where it started. And I think that's because it's part of folklore. It's like, it's shared and it pops up in this culture here, pops up in this culture there. But my hypothesis is that I think it's possible that some of these ideas come from stories like the story we're going to talk about tonight, because tonight we're talking about Jesus and Lazarus. And Lazarus was a real person who really died 
and then suddenly wasn't dead anymore. And I just wonder if as stories get passed on, you know, down thousands of years, like if they kind of turn into these stories of like ghosts or, you know, zombies, like there's this dead guy who everyone knew he was dead and then suddenly he's just walking around town the next day. Like I have to believe that that leads to some sort of folklore. But, um, but here in our series, holiness and humanity is how heaven is invading earth. The, the heart of heaven, the purpose of heaven, the mission of heaven is showing up here in earth and Jesus is the one who ushers that in. It's like if, if the kingdom showing up is a parade, Jesus is at the front of the parade leading that procession. And he's the one starting to reveal what does heaven on earth look like for us. And what you'll see here in this story, we're going to go to John chapter 11. It's the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And you're going to start seeing that the stakes are getting raised as far as like the intensity between Jesus and the religious leaders um, in chapter 10, he is almost stoned. Um, they like pick up stones. They're like, all right, let's get him. Like, let's kill him. And the reason the stakes are getting higher is because Jesus is, again, revealing more and more about his kingdom. And part of the part that he's revealing now is that he is the son of God, meaning he is God. The reason they pick up the stones is because they're like, he just said he's God. And so that's blasphemy. So we got to kill him. The stakes are getting raised. And then after the story of Jesus and Lazarus, that's where um, the, the scriptures tell us that they start plotting to kill him. So from John chapter 11 all the way to the crucifixion, it's just like more and more intense. And that's what we're jumping in here in John chapter 11. But before we jump in, let me just pray for us, and then we'll see what God has uh, for us tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we get to spend together. Thank you for this beautiful day. Um, the heavens declare your glory. As we look up into the sky on days like today, we're just reminded um, they're yelling, there is a God, there is a God, there is a God, and he's a God who cares, and thank you that you are with us, you're not far off, but you're with us, and so Lord, right now, as we look to the story of Jesus and Lazarus, I ask that we would see the story for what it is, but then Lord, I also ask that you, we would see in the story what you want us to see that applies to us. What is it that you want to speak over us? We're ready to listen, we're ready to receive. And we ask that you would do just that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 11. Let me give you a little bit of context before we dive into the passage. Um, Jesus has these friends. He's good friends with uh, this guy named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. If you know the story where, you know, Mary sits at Jesus' feet. Martha's the one busy preparing the home. Um, although th that's these two, <laughs> this is Mary and Martha. And they have a brother named Lazarus. And we know they're good friends just there's many different places in the Gospels where we're told, like, they just, they love each other. He's close to these, these three people. And so he's hanging with his friends. And then, like I said, in chapter 10, lots of activity with the religious leaders. They're trying to kill him. They even say they, they try to, like, grab him. And then somehow Jesus gets away. It just says, like, he, he gets away from them and does, obviously does not uh, get attacked. And what he does is he leaves Judea and he goes across the Jordan um, passed, you know, into this territory where uh, John the Baptist was doing a lot of ministry. And so that's called, the area's called Bethany beyond Jordan. That's about 30 miles away from where he was at. So that's a, that's a solid day's walk. At this time, it would just be walking uh, travel. And so he, he, he leaves, and that takes a day. And that's where we jump in here. Um, John chapter 11, let me start at verse 1. It says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. Okay, this is a town near Jerusalem where Lazarus and his sisters lived. The village where Mary and her sister uh, Martha 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her fe- his feet with her hair. Um, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, if they're sending this message to Jesus, it's not just like a cold, right? Like, obviously, the, the urgency is really high. They're saying, this, he's probably going to die. Lazarus is dying, and you love him. You are close to him, and he is sick. So they're sending to him with urgency. Then, uh, again, that message to get to Jesus takes a day, because it's 30 miles away. So they get to Jesus. Then Jesus hears a message, and Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. Uh, I want you to pay close attention to how that is worded. He said, this sickness will not end in death. He did not say that the sickness would not lead to death. He's saying the end of the story is not death, okay? Because Lazarus does die. That's what happens here in just a couple verses. But he's saying it's not going to end with him dying, though he's about to die because he's so sick. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. We have to start with the shocking nature of what was just said in those last couple verses. So does anybody hear the distance? He loves these people. Here's a message that's like, "Come, come to us now, please. And his response is, because I love you, I'm going to stay here for a couple days and then I'll go. There's something like else going on here that's kind of hard to figure out in these verses. We'll get to it here in a second. But the point being brought up that we're learning from Jesus is when Jesus delays, Jesus delays intentionally. When Jesus doesn't do something at a specific time and he does it at a different time, it's not by accident and it's not because he messed up or he missed something along the way. Jesus is the son of God and he is, he knows exactly what he's doing. He is being intentional in this delay. That's what you see in the passage. And apparently that delay is connected to his love for these people. Okay, so that's our, our first clue. But it's, it, it starts by really, it's a pretty shocking thing that he's not going to go to them. Because the message is, um, Jesus is the healer. And your friend Jesus is about to die. So could you come and do what you do? What we've seen you do many times. Could you come heal him so that he doesn't die? We know that that was the plan because... If, if we read the entire story, you'll see that both Mary and Martha go to Jesus and they're like, if you would have come, he wouldn't have died. But because you didn't come, that's why he's dead. That's why he's now in that tomb. So that's where it's, where it's headed. But if we jump back in the story, the disciples, um, the disciples then have a conversation with Jesus. They're like, why would we go back to Judea? You were almost killed there, so let's not do that. They have a little conversation there. And then jumping back in verse 11, uh, Jesus says this, after After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will be better. Jesus had been speaking about his death. This is John giving us commentary. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, okay, in case you're not catching it, here is exactly what I mean, Jesus says. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Second weird verse in the passage. It's like, I love them, so I'm going to stay here. And then second weird verse is like, 
but be, for your sake, I'm really glad I didn't go and that he's dead now. It's like, what in the world? What is going on? Jesus chose to wait until Lazarus died. What is at play? And uh, these two phrases of like, for your sake, and because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, then he chose to say, um, there's something really awesome happening here. And, and I just want to take a few moments to explain it. And uh, I, I'm going to use like days of the week to, to just make it super clear what's happening. So let's pretend that all the stuff with Lazarus almost dying happens on Monday. Okay, so Monday, they're like, this is it. This is his final hours. We got to get Jesus here ASAP. They send the message. The messenger, it takes a day to get over to where Jesus is at. Um, and so, I don't know, the messenger could have gotten there late at night on Monday or early Tuesday. We don't know exactly, but it takes somewhere 12 to 24 hours to even get to Jesus. Then um, that's where that conversation happens. And Jesus says, well, actually, we're going to stay here a couple days and then we'll go. Um, and then Lazarus dies on that Monday. And then he's buried the same day. We know that he's buried the same day because inside this culture, that's exactly what you did. They, they did not do what we do where someone dies and then we make plans and figure out when we're going to bury them. In the Jewish culture at this time, as soon as, like the day the person died, that was the day of the funeral. So then they bury him on Monday. Then Jesus says, we're going to wait two days. So Tuesday and Wednesday are the days they're waiting. And then Thursday's the day Jesus says, okay, now let's head back over to Bethany. That takes, again, all day to get to them, and then the, these conversations are probably happening on Thursday night. Now, why is this significant? Well, it, it's really significant because from Monday to Thursday, Jesus is allowing for three days to pass, okay? Three days are passing from the moment of his death until Jesus shows up in town to now do the miracle he's about to do. He already said it. He already said, this does not end in death. Okay, so we, it's like, spoiler alert, there it is. Like, Jesus knows where, he's told us what he's about to do. And yet he's waiting a couple days. Um, and then he shows up in town, he says, okay, now I'm here. And the reason this is significant is because if you study the historical context of how things were at this time, um, medicine was not as advanced, like, not even close to what we know today. And, and when you didn't have all the devices we have today, to declare someone dead was a bit more difficult than it is today. Um, back then, you know, you could, you could check someone's pulse, like there are things you could do, but there are certain diseases and certain situations where the pulse is so faint, but the person's not dead, it just seems like they're dead, or, oh, their breathing's gone. Well, no, it might just be super faint, and you can't detect it, and they're alive, and you might think they're dead. And so the way this culture understood death is, is you don't know that the person's dead until three days pass. Because even if they're not dead, like if they're sitting in that grave and no, we don't hear any sounds coming out of the tomb, that person is actually dead. Um, there's no doubt in their minds, again, because they're sitting in a tube and they're not eating, they're not drinking. So if they were close to death, now they're for sure dead. This is the way they understood it. I know it sounds like super brutal, but it's like they had no other option. These are different times. Um, and so they, they put Lazarus in the grave and three days passed, which now means at this time, no one's wondering if he's dead. Okay, no one's wondering, is he just really sick? Maybe he's going to wake up. Maybe he's just unconscious. Is some disease we don't get. No, no one's wondering that. They're like, he's dead. And also, as you'll see in the passage, we know he's dead because there's many witnesses that experience this, this story and they all smell like his body decomposing. So it's super gross. It's like one of the grossest stories in the New Testament. It's like there's a dead body that people can smell. So that's how they know that he's dead. The reason why that becomes significant is because what Jesus is doing is new in regards to what's happening in, in the Gospels. Jesus had already resurrected people by this point. 
we know of at least two people that Jesus had already brought from death to life. But what's new in the story of Lazarus is this is the first time that he's waiting three days to show beyond a shadow of a doubt in the time that he's living in, that he truly does have authority and power over death. Because there could have been rumors of like, oh, that other story where there was that girl who you said was sleeping and then you go resurrect her. Maybe she just didn't die. Like maybe that's what it was, right? Like the skeptics are starting to think, well, no, that person didn't die. It's just a, it's a, it's folklore. It's just a myth. Jesus is kind of a magician and he's trying to pull a fast one on us. The story of Lazarus is where, again, he's raising the intensity. Jesus is getting clearer and clearer about who he is, what he's here to do, and what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And that's why the intensity where the religious leaders keep getting more and more intense. He is now said he's the son of God, declaring his divinity, and now he's about to resurrect someone, but waiting until after the third day to show him, which is significant inside the culture, and it's also a foreshadowing of what is to come, obviously. Jesus is not just saying, I'm here to perform a miracle. I'm here to show you that I have power over death. And my, my own resurrection is something I'm going to show you here. That's what's to come. So he's foreshadowing that. But doing it inside a culture where it's like, no one can argue with Jesus that he does not have the power to resurrect because of this story. And so he does it so that they would believe, right? That's what he says. This is for your benefit, so that you could believe. Believe what? believe that God really does have that power, that you could witness with your own eyes these disciples, Mary, Martha, all the people who are with Mary, Martha, they all see it with their own eyes and they say, we, <laughs> it is true. Like for all the things we don't really understand of what he's saying and like these, he drops these sentences like he's going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. We're like, we're trying to figure this out, but whatever it is, we believe. We believe that his claims are true. So while Jesus is waiting two days, doesn't make any sense to you and me. If we were reliving this story in real time, we'd be like, don't get it. But the things that don't make sense to us don't mean that something is wrong. Many times what it means is that God is doing something way bigger in the process. And, and this is what it's like for us today. <laughs> there are so many times where I, as I've followed Jesus in my life, I have to wrestle with the fact that there are things that it just seems like God is delaying. Like, it, I want it to be now. I want it to do, like, I pray for good things, too. I pray for justice to happen in the world. And, and I see things that are just so unjust. And I say, God, would you show up? Would you make this right? And, and I pray towards it. And I'm like, this is what God wants. It is what he's going to do. But he's not, he didn't do it today, right? Like, there are still evil things happening today in our world. And when you look at that, you're like, maybe, like, yeah, I guess it's similar to this. Like, God is delaying. He's told us where it's going, and there is a day, don't worry, there's a day God's going to make all the wrong things right. There's a day where he will end death in all forms, <laughs> altogether will be gone, it will be no more, that's coming. But even though I'm praying for it right now, there, there are times where it's clear that God is delaying in, in some way right now. The question is, what do we do with that? What if it's not like macro praying for justice, like big, big picture stuff, what if it's more personal, like what if I'm praying for this specific thing in my life to happen? I've asked God and I continue to pray and I pray consistently, but it just seems like God is delaying. But the story of Lazarus is trying to teach you is that when God delays, it's for a reason. He is not trying to hurt you or torture you or make anything more difficult for you than it needs to be. It's the fact that he's setting up something awesome in the end. 
And I'm not here to give you the answer to the, I don't, I think we are all supposed to still pray and pray in faith and God, that God would do the miracle. That's what he invites, right? We've talked about this before. Yes, pray for the miracle and ask in faith. But whenever you sense that God is delaying, you can now look at the story and say, when Jesus delays, when God delays, it's intentional. There's something he's up to that's awesome. There's something he's about to reveal. And whether that happens here on earth or it's ultimately part of the bigger story, there is a day coming where all those miracles come to fruition. There is a day coming where no matter what disease we face in this life, God is saying, I will be your healer. It all ends in healing. There is all the striving, all the struggle that we have here in this life. There is a day coming where that is over. So there is the ultimate answer from God, but we still enter into that tension as we're in these days of waiting. And Jesus does it too. He experiences that tension right here inside this story. But I'm telling you, when things don't make sense, the question is, can you hold on to your faith in God still? Can you still believe in God that he is good? The things we've sung about tonight. Can you still enter and say, God, I don't get it and I still believe? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. I can't explain why you're waiting two days like Jesus to get to Bethany. I can't explain it, but I'm going to believe that there's something awesome you're up to. And I like this is this is part of my story. It's part of everyone's story, guys. I mean, not too long ago, just a few years ago, like I found myself looking around in my life and I was just like, nothing makes sense anymore. It just felt like no matter where I looked, there was just more and more pain, more and more things falling apart, more and more things. I'm just like, Lord, like I, I prayed the prayer of the psalmist. I prayed like, how long, oh Lord? Like, or what else could happen? Like, honestly, it just felt like when it rains, it pours. It just felt like one thing after the next. And I couldn't get myself out of this, this pit of feeling like, oh my goodness, nothing makes sense. Like, where is God in this? But what I knew was coming from God was this invitation, which is even if it doesn't make sense, do you still believe in me? Do you still have faith in me? If you've said that I'm good, do you, do you, can you still believe that even when it doesn't make sense? Even when you feel like everything around you is falling apart, when things are crumbling in, before your very eyes, can you, can you believe it? And the story of Lazarus is here for you guys, if that's where you are right now. You're like, it doesn't make sense tonight. Like, I'm really struggling. I'm in that tension. I'm trying to figure out what is God even up to. My word of encouragement for you is this. God's up to something bigger, always. There's no end to your story that ends in death. It does not end for you in death. Yes, you might go through some, a lot of things. You might go through a story similar to Lazarus, but I, he's revealed the end already to you, and it's not death. It's really, really awesome. So even in the days where you sense that God is delaying, no, Jesus delays, but he delays intentionally. That's the first thing we see in this passage. Second thing we're going to find, let's jump down to verse 32, continuing in the story. Um, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, here it is what I mentioned, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Man, I relate to Mary so much, and, and Martha in the story. It's like, yeah, I, I think I talk to God that way sometimes. It's like, God, if you would have done it on my timeline, then this other thing wouldn't have happened. Why didn't you show up? Why didn't the miracle show up? And again, you will see Jesus say, the miracle is coming. But you have to trust that the timing of the miracle is also the best timing. 
that it's God's timing is always going to be the best timing. And us demanding things of God is not the same thing as asking things of God. He invites us to ask, and he says, I'm actually going to do a huge work in you if you'll spend the time in prayer with me. Ask as often as you can. That's a, that's a formative practice for your own soul. But we're not in charge. There's still an ultimate submission to God and saying, man, I think this is what would have been best, but it, it's not happening, so I'm still going to choose to believe that you, your timing is always going to be better. Continue in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, oh, I love this. It always gets me. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Like that, that word means like burdened. Like he, he starts feeling the weight of something in his heart. And he asks, where, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And two words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. What Jesus is modeling for us is emotional honesty here in this moment. Jesus models emotional honesty. He delays intentionally, but he's also showing us what, what does it look like when you are in this body that we live in here on earth? When you have humanity, what does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like being present to the moment in front of you, even if you know where it ultimately leads. And this is uniquely the position we have as believers, because I could take you to the end of the book. I could tell you where it's headed. And we've spent some time talking about that in different series. And we know where it's headed. We know where the story ends. And yet that doesn't mean we pretend that what's happening right now is not happening. We are still supposed to be present. He knows Lazarus isn't going to end up dead. He he, he knows where it's headed, but he's still present to the grief surrounding him. He sees Mary weeping. He sees Mary's friends around her weeping. And when he does that, as he experiences the, the humanity of deep sorrow, when he's around it, he enters into it. He, he can't help but say, I actually, I love you. And because you're in deep sorrow, I am now being pulled into it. My own heart is being pulled into it. Because he has emotional honesty. He's not going to pretend it's not happening. That the pain of death is present in front of him because Lazarus had died. That was as real as death could get. And the pain and torment of death is not something that God wanted for us. But this, obviously he didn't want that. That's why he gave his son so that we would not have the ultimate you know, finality of death upon us. This is what he dies to show and why he resurrects Lazarus to show and why he ultimately gives his own life to show us that death does not have the final word. He is proving to you that if you think the final word on earth is dying, you are missing out on the greater story. The greatest, the final word comes from God and God alone. He is the one who has the final word and he's proven it to us multiple ways. This is why our faith hinges on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul's like, hey, if the resurrection didn't happen, I don't, I don't think we have a faith. <laughs> I think our faith is in vain. Why? Because then all the things he said are not true. He's the one who said he would rise up. He's the one who said it would come. And so him actually doing it adds validity to our faith when we're saying we're banking on him and here he is experiencing, even though the ultimate power of death is going to be dispelled forever, he's still experiencing the sorrow of death today, and he's able to enter into it. When he was around it, he felt it too. Jesus didn't just cry. 
Did you see what it is? Mary's weeping, the friends are weeping, and Jesus wept. He meets them where they are at. He's able to empathize in the truest sense of the word. He's saying, I can feel this with you. I can carry this with you. And this is such a, it's been such an important lesson for me personally. I remember a few years ago, um, I was involved in doing these men's retreats. And it, it was at a campground. We would go camping for, I think it was like three days. And when I say a men's retreat, it's like, yes, we're all going to the forest. And it's just like campsites everywhere. And it was 6,000 men every summer. So it was just like, I mean, it turned into a city. It was like, it was really cool. I really loved it. It was awesome. So 6,000 men just like setting up campsites. And uh, at the time I was working on the worship team and we would go to these events. It started like in 2016 or 17. And I remember I would drive up, but our schedule was so packed with like things that the worship team had to do, like rehearsal at some terrible hour in the morning. Then we'd do a service and then everyone else got to go play games and we were like rehearsing for the next thing. And it was just like such a packed schedule. And it was like, go, go, go. And we'd have guest artists, you know, flying from other parts of the country. So I had to make sure that they had like, the band had the music for the artists so that the artists could like lead their worship set. So I was just doing all this different stuff. And the first couple years was just like, go, 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 go. And I honestly didn't think much of it. But then like we had a bunch of changes happen in our leadership at the church. And in 2019, we had the retreat again. And I go, we set up our campsite. All the things are basically the same, but the difference was we just didn't like full throttle. We didn't full throttle like the worship team. There was like a little bit more space where we could do a couple of the things that the retreat was intended to do. And I, I, I still remember this to this day. Like I leave my campsite and there, there would be a trail and everyone's setting up campsites on both sides. And I remember in 2019 walking and for the introvert that I am, like I, I saw something happen in my heart, which was unexpected, which I'm walking down this trail and I'm seeing all these campsites and I just like walked into one that I didn't know. And I was like, hey guys, what's your name? And then I just started getting to know them and I'm asking him like, where, you know, they all go to my church um, and just kind of getting to know them. And then I would walk away and I, I had suddenly this, this capacity to, to, to be present with people emotionally that I had not had the two previous years. And I remember it so much to this day because I felt like what the Lord was saying is if you can't be around people and be present around those people, like it's too much. You're running a little too hard if you can't even experience the humanity that's around you. And what I've found inside my heart is when I get into like go mode, just do, 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 like do more, do more, do more. Um, it's not that it's not that I'm feeling hard things. What, what I fall into is then I just really stop feeling at all because I don't have time to feel. Like that's, that's where my heart gets into this place where it's really just kind of numbed by what's going on around me. And this happens to many of us today where you go through difficult places in life or you get so disappointed in how your life has turned out that what your heart starts doing is just says, I just don't want to feel anything. But that's not holiness and humanity. Like look at Jesus. He knows where it's headed. And yet he slows down and he can't help but weep and enter into the place. He's like, these are where my friends are at. And so I'm entering into that place. So it's a great question for us today. Are there parts of your heart that you would say are numb? And that's pretty concerning that they're numb. Are you around certain situations? You're like, actually, this is quite a terrible situation. But yet I just find myself retreating and running away. Well, sometimes that retreating, that numbing, it's really you're just your way of saying, I want to be safe. I want to be in a good place. But what Jesus is saying is, well, I'm not inviting you to go into unsafe places with people who you shouldn't be around, but he wants to be that place for you. 
He wants you to be able to not experience numbness in his presence, but experience the true emotions of what happens. And so as, as I have to walk through things that aren't fun in my life, this is the lesson I take. I say, if Jesus were here, he wouldn't be like, oh, just tough it up, Eddie. Like, you know, whatever. You're, you're a pastor. Like, keep going. No, I feel like Jesus would be like, Eddie, that's a, that's a rough thing you just had to witness. Like, that's a rough thing you just had to walk through. Like, can we just sit in this for a little bit? And this is where Jesus and the Holy Spirit becomes our counselor. Like, the Spirit of Jesus is present when he's trying to help you, and he's counseling me and saying, can you be emotionally honest? Can you be present to the moment in front of you instead of only focusing on the task at hand or where it's all going to end? We need to be emotionally honest. And then finally this, we all know where the story goes. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he does it in such a way that I can say this to you now confidently, and that is that Jesus is calling your name. Jesus is calling your name. Here's how the story ends in verse 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there was, bad, there was a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took, the, took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Hello, that's the first mummy in human history. Like, it's right there, right? Like, he comes out straight up looking like a mummy. And he's, he's, he was dead. They're still even calling him the dead man. And he walks out. And then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Like, the idea of let him go. Like, let him go back to life. Let him walk into what it means to be alive because I have resurrected him. This is the miracle that Jesus performs, but I want you to notice, John is writing this account, and what does John call Lazarus? He calls him the dead man. The voice coming out of the author is even saying, that's the dead man, and Jesus is not saying, hey, dead man, come out. He says, Lazarus, come out. This is what God does. God is calling you, but he's calling you by name. I don't want you to miss that the, the saving work of God, what God does in us, is not just this generic thing that happens. He calls you by name. He, he uses words of adoption when it has to do with bringing his children to himself. You don't adopt someone, you're like, I don't even know who it is. Like, even if you didn't know at first, it always leads to a day where you call them by name, whether you give them a name or you accept their name and you say, I call you this too. That's what adoption looks like, and that's what God is doing still today. He's calling people out from death to life, and he's not just doing it saying, hey, whoever would like to come out from death, head on over here. No, he's saying your name. He's calling you by name. The world might look at you and just say, hey, dead man, dead woman, giving you an, an identification based off the things that are dead inside of us, which we all have, okay? There's no one here that without God would not be a dead man. 
And Lazarus is the physical representation of the spiritual reality that God has with us. Lazarus is showing you with, with historical evidence and all these witnesses showing you in a physical sense what God is continuing to do today. And what I want you to hear is that God is not just saying that generically to you. God is saying it tonight and he would say your name and he would say you come out. Come out from your dead life, the life that you have without God. It's dead. <laughs> we spiral ourselves into a mess. We all chosen it. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Without God, we're all in the same place, which is we're the dead person. But God does not say, hey, dead person. He says, hey, and then he'll say your name. This is what God is doing. And that's why in, in Romans chapter 6, Paul puts it this way. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. Baptism, that picture, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's the same thing that happens to Lazarus. He walks out of the grave and he's like, hey, change your clothes. Get out of those grave clothes. And let him go. Let him walk into his new life. And this is why Jesus is calling you out today. It is to save you. It's to say, you're not going to be dead anymore. I'm going to make you alive. But then it's also to say, now go live that new life right now. You do not have to wait until you enter into eternity to start eternal life. That starts now. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that's why he did all these things, so that people could believe in him. If you believe that Jesus was who he said he is, then you started that life right now. You have moved from death into life, and you now have to walk into the new life. But here's what I, I see in this passage, and what I believe is the word for us today, is that Jesus has the power to resurrect, but he's asked you to take off your grave clothes. He's the only one who can take you from death to life. I can't do that. You can't do that. But who does he see? He says, he says hey, you guys do this. Take off your grave clothes, what he's pointing out is our tendency that even when God does the miracle, we have a tendency to stay in our previous state. And it might be true that God has moved you from death to life, but you might be still holding on to some of your grave clothes. And the call of God for you here tonight is to ask yourself that question, like, is there something you're still holding on to that you should have let go when God called you into life? And that, that God has patience with us. Thankfully, it's not like all an instant thing. I believe that is a process of we walk out with these grave clothes. God calls us by name. We say, yes, Lord, we believe. Then it's a process of choosing and saying, Lord, only through your power, I need to take off these grave clothes. And I need to put on my new clothes. And that is what the Christian life is. And so I feel led to pray for some of you here tonight. I think that is the picture you need to kind of wrestle with. Have you been called into new life? Maybe the answer is yes, and I hope that's what your answer is. But are you still holding on to something you just don't need to hold on to anymore? That only has to do with your dead life, and you've been brought into new life. Is there something that needs to be let go? Is there a change of clothing that needs to happen in the spiritual sense of saying, I'm done wearing these rags that I would wear in my tomb when I lived there, and I'm ready to put on every day Get up and say, Lord, I put on your presence. I put on your purpose. I put on what the things you've called me to be. So here to close, uh, I want to invite you guys to stand. Stand with me. I want to pray for you. I want to ask that God would continue to do the work in our hearts and just bring clarity to exactly what it is that he wants to accomplish in us here tonight.
So, Father, we, we give thanks to you because you are the one who is the resurrection and the life. You're not just the one who makes resurrection happen. You said you are the resurrection. You are the life. You call us to yourself. And so I pray that more and more what we would have is more of you. And less and less what we would have is what our grave clothes remind us of. That we'd be walking into that new life. And just like we are in this posture of prayer, you just keep your eyes closed, head bowed. I want to go back to that question that we saw in this chapter when Jesus is talking about who he is. He's the one who says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And here's what he says. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's what Jesus said 2,000 years ago in the town of Bethany to a crowd that had gathered around him. I think it's the same thing he's asking right now. Do you believe this? Maybe you're here in this place and you've been visiting us, you know, a few weeks and you're around church. You're trying to figure out what exactly is this Jesus message? Well, I think it might be time for you to step into what it means to believe. To believe is to accept and it's to accept all the things that it means. To believe is not just saying, oh yeah, I think it's true. No, it's I embrace it as truth and this truth is is life-changing. It's, I will follow all the things that God says. Instead of my way, I will now believe in God's way. And why he's doing all these things to, so that people can believe is so that people like you and me can be invited to believe in him. That when he left heaven, came, earth, came to earth, he lives a life we could not live. He dies on the cross in your place, in my place. He takes the punishment for our sin. We're the ones who break the rules against God. And he dies in our place. But then he resurrects on the third day so that you could know that if you believe in him, he will resurrect you too. This is what Jesus offers. And if you've been on the fringe and kind of wondering, do, do I want to enter into this? This is the invitation of Jesus. Do you believe this? And if you, if you feel like I've been thinking about believing this, but now I'm ready to make that decision, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a super simple prayer. This prayer doesn't have any magical words, but if you believe the things that we're going to pray here together, then you move from from death to life. That's what the Bible teaches. The requirement to have a relationship with God is not that you do anything. It's simply that you believe that God has already done it. So here tonight, if that's you, just right here in your heart, you don't even have to speak this out loud. Just speak to God and say to him, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was your son. I believe he died on that cross and that he rose on the, uh, out of that grave on the third day. And because of his sacrifice, I am now made new. If you've said that to God, and this is you enter, entering into that belief, my only invitation would be, could you just tell me or tell someone about it tonight? Um, don't leave here with just saying, okay, I made that decision. No, this is where you start sharing it. And the reason you need to start sharing it is so that we can help you. Believing in that means you're part of the family. You're not part of our family, and we want to come alongside of you. That's the invitation of Jesus. Do you believe this? And the second thing, what I already mentioned, are you still wearing your grave clothes? So for those of you who you know the Spirit's already moving, I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those who feel convicted, who feel a tug from your Spirit about something they're still wearing today that they're not supposed to be wearing because you have called them into life. You've called them to loosen something that's currently holding on to them, or maybe they're holding on to it. 
I pray right now that across the room, whatever it is that, that is still part of the grave clothes, that this would be a choice and say, we, we release that now, God. And that we would enter more and more into this new life that you've called us into. Thank you, Lord, that you died so that there are no clothes that can permanently hold on to us anymore. They do not have the final say. Death doesn't have the final say. You're the only one who has the final say. And so, Lord, right now, I pray for the strength to, to make the choices in wisdom and through the power of the Spirit on what it means to let go. We pray, I pray that for my brothers. I pray that for my sisters. Only you can do it, God. Only you can do it. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.